Wednesday morning, I got a message as I was getting ready to come in to church. So we're doing some filming that day. And as I was preparing myself to come in, the message that it came through said, you've got to listen to Good News Radio, which is our local Christian radio station here in Ballarat. And as I tuned in, who is being interviewed other than Peter Bartlett, uh, one of our own Yorkie members here. And Pete's being interviewed because a couple of weeks ago, he did something quite ridiculous, something crazy, and something pretty awesome, which he did to raise money towards a missional organization called Ears Incorporated. It's a, they are also a mission partner here of the church. So two weeks ago, Peter in one weekend, ran 200 kilometres, starting at 6am on the Saturday and finishing at about 5 o'clock Sunday afternoon. Ran 200 kilometres. Now, he did that to raise awareness for Ears Incorporated, to get some funny, uh, funding, some funny, it wasn't very funny, it was pretty crazy, really, uh, but to raise some funding, but also awareness of developing countries and the need to be able to raise up people and help uh, raise up people to train, but also help those who can't hear, be able to hear, to integrate into society, but also hear the word of God. An incredible cause. Now, Wednesday wasn't the run. The run was weeks before. And so two weeks ago, he ran the 200 kilometers, yet here he is talking about it. You see, the event was done. Yes, there was publicity before the event, there was publicity during the event, but this is after. And so what was done then was done. He's not going to do it again for this cause. But what he is now doing is spreading the word of what he did and why he did it. Today, we look at Acts chapter 1. And as we open up our study in Acts, as we look through the book of Acts, what we see is that an act has been done. It is finished once and for all. But the message of what was done is yet to be shared with the rest of the world. At the start of Acts, we see that Jesus completed works. His life, death, and resurrection have been completed. The prophecies are fulfilled. And in Jesus' own words, it is finished. And that redemptive act is done once and for all. But not everyone knows about it. Not everyone knows about the gift that Jesus has offered. And so the mission of God's church is to take this act and share it with the rest of the world. Today, as we start in Acts chapter 1, I pray that you understand two things. Firstly, if you have not accepted the incredible gift of Jesus Christ, the act that has been done just for you, then I want to encourage you to open your heart and hear about it today. But likewise, maybe you have been a part of the church for a long time and maybe you wondered what the church exists for. Well, we're going to see over the next couple of months why God birthed this incredible church, not just our church, but the church across the globe and what its real purpose is. Let's pray before we dive into Scripture. Dear Heavenly Father, today as we open up your word, I pray that you would reveal to us what you did for us as an incredible act of love 
to restore us in relationship back with you through Jesus. Lord, I pray that today we would understand once again what it is to be appreciative of what Jesus did for us on the cross. But likewise, would we also be appreciative of what you did when you birthed the church, when you formed the body of Christ, and what our mission and vision is to be as we look at your strategy for a broken world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you missed last week, it was a bit of a a pre-message before we dived into Scripture. It was a bit of a teaser, a bit of a trailer, but it also covered some content of key theological uh, undertones, some, some things that are happening in the world at this time. It also used some words that we're going to be using throughout the series in the book of Acts. So I hope that you've seen that. I'm going to assume that you have. If not, go back and watch that because it'll help with the series. If you're enjoying the series, though, can I also encourage you to check out our Wednesday night devotions. We're also going a little bit deeper in our Wednesday devotions in some supporting passages and some of the the content we can't cover on a Sunday because of time, we're going to cover on our Wednesdays. So last Wednesday, we covered the last chapters or the last chapter in the book of Luke, which sets up the book of Acts. And this coming Wednesday, we look at the portion of Acts chapter 1 that we can't cover this morning as we're looking for at verse 1 to 14. And so if you want to go deeper, check out our Wednesday devotions, which are also found on the regular uh, mediums, social media, uh, Facebook and YouTube, if you want to check them out as well. Let's dive in, but have a quick look at what Acts chapter 1 is broken into. There's two parts, two halves to Acts chapter 1. The first part speaks about how Jesus is still with the apostles and the disciples and he's teaching them. He's teaching them on the mission, but also alluding to the strategy that God has for his redemptive plan. Remember, the book of Acts is the acts of God in his redemptive plan. It, it instructs, we see the first chapter, um, Acts chapters 1 through to about chapters uh, verse 1 and around about verse 8, speaks of Jesus setting up the disciples to the point where they can't do anything else without the Holy Spirit. And so now they're awaiting the Holy Spirit. We also see that Jesus ascends to heaven to sit at God's right hand. We then go into the second part of Acts chapter 1 where we we see that Peter becomes kind of a spokesperson for the apostles, the disciples. (coughs) Excuse me. And in that, Peter starts reflecting on Judas's death and linking that to the Old Testament prophecies. And in obedience, then also of the Old Testament prophecies, they fill the gap of the 12 apostles in appointing Matthias. And we look at that on Wednesday if you want to hear a little bit more about what's happening there. And so let's dive into Acts chapter 1. We're going to read past the, the, the titles because you've got to remember when we read Scripture that it was Western culture that added in the titles and the numbers, and sometimes that can limit our understanding of a passage, so it's good to read a few verses either side to see if they align and join, which in this case they do. And so we're going to read from verse 1 through to 14. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, 
I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared before them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's three things I want us to hang on to in these first few verses of Acts 1. The the first one is 40 days. The second one is kingdom of God. And the third one is Holy Spirit. 40 days, kingdom of God, Holy Spirit. Let's continue reading from verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, the great strategy for the spread of God's incredible good news. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. (coughs) Excuse me again. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Remember, there were two Judases. They all joined together consistently in prayer, along with all the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. When we started the first part of of reading this, I asked you to remember three things. 40 days, the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit. 40 days, the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit. Let's start with 40 days. Why is 40 days important? Well, in Numbers chapter 13, what we see take place is the early church, so Israel, the nation of Israel, have been led out of captivity and now they are standing right on the edge of the promised land. They're looking to the promised land to think that, that they are about to take back what God had given Abraham all those years ago. Now, in the meantime, other people have come and taken the land that was Abraham's and so now they're taking back what was rightfully theirs. 
They take 12 tribes, uh, 12 spies that represent the 12 tribes, one from each tribe, to go in and for 40 days they spy out the land to see if it, it was all that God said it would be. Now, after those 40 days, what happens is the spies come back and 10 of the spies go, it is exactly what God said it would be. But I don't think we can conquer it because the people there are too great. Two of the spies came back and said, it is exactly what God said it would be. Therefore, with God, we can take it back. We can take back the land that he gave to us. However, the nation listened to the 10 And because they put their faith in themselves rather than God, the consequence was they couldn't go into the land. And so after the 40 days of spying, they failed to put their trust in God. And so 40 years in the wilderness took place. We come over to the New Testament and we see that Jesus, in Luke chapter 4 verse 2, has been baptized and he's come up out of the water And now Jesus is about to start his ministry. But first, he is led once again into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And in the wilderness, he's tested by Satan. And every time he's tested with a question and a wrestle and he's hungry because he's been fasting and and he, he reflects or defends the attacks with Scripture. And at the end of the 40 days... He starts his ministry. So at the end of 40 days, he then goes, he's led by the Spirit, and he starts teaching in the synagogue. The first thing he does is teach, which is his primary job. His second thing is he puts together a team, because Jesus always did things in teams, as he trained and equipped people for what we will see take place in the book of Acts. And so we see that there was 40 days that were a failure, in the Old Testament, 40 years in the wilderness. And Jesus restored that by 40 days in the wilderness where he stuck strong and put his faith in God and put his faith in Scripture. We now see for 40 days, and that, after that he went and started his ministry. We now see Jesus for 40 days teaching his disciples and followers so that they can then go and do a ministry. He is preparing them for what will come next. So for 40 days, he taught them about the kingdom of God. Now, what is the kingdom of God? We see it in the Lord's Prayer. We see it referred to a lot. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is God's kingdom. I know that amazing, but it's God's kingdom. And, and And we want to be a part of God's kingdom. We want to be where God is. We want to be with our creator. However, we have messed up. We have done the wrong thing. We have thought things, acted on things, said things. And because of that, we are not perfect anymore. Therefore, we can't be with God who is perfect. So there needs to be a consequence. The Bible says the wages of these things that we've done wrong, what we deserve is a death and not to get to go with God, an eternity without God because we've done the wrong thing. However, Old Testament says that while something else can die in your place to represent how sorry you are for what you've done, and if something else dies in your place, then you can be restored and you can go to heaven. Now, Jesus comes and he dies in our place. He dies on the cross. 
And in doing so, in his own words, he says, it is finished. God's restoration, his restoring of our relationship, his redemption plan, redeeming the token that redeemed the voucher or the ticket, the the redeeming act was done by Jesus for us. And it is finished. By that redeeming act, we now have access to God through Jesus, only through Jesus. But what we see happen in Acts and throughout the, the New Testament is that that's not the end of the story. It is finished, the redeeming act is finished, but the complete works of Jesus is found not just in his death, but three days later, God rose Jesus from the, de- from the dead. And we see the curse of death that was given out in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and in doing so broke the relationship and we've been breaking the relationship ever since. And so we see the curse of death, the death which means we can't spend eternity with God, that curse of death which is an eternity without God is now broken, that curse is broken through Jesus and there is a resurrection, a resurrection to a new life. And once again, we will be restored, resurrected to a new life with God. Where's this going? The kingdom of God can only happen through Jesus' resurrection. And through Jesus, we can be restored to a relationship with God and be a part of the kingdom of heaven. But more than that, when we read the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So we see glimpses of heaven on earth, these restored areas in life where we see somebody restore somebody in love, in grace, in mercy, in peace, in comfort. And at times when the Holy Spirit, which is next week, when we hear about that, we see in the supernatural, in healing, in being able to have these ideas of knowledge, in wisdom, in words, in thoughts that come only from God. And so Jesus teaches the kingdom of God. Christ crucified, but the completed works of Jesus in his resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The only way to God is through Jesus. And everything has been done. It is the completed works of Jesus Christ that we have access to God. Only through him. Now that is good news because there is nothing more to do than accept the gift. That's it. Pete Bartlett ran the race. Jesus died on the cross. It is done. It is finished, completed. But the message is to continue. Now, interestingly enough, our icon for, the, for York Street represents a loaf of bread or the, the unleavened bread. Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that we just heard around the communion table just before this message, Jesus took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body given for you. In scripture, he says, every time you meet together, do this in remembrance of me. And so I hope as a church, every time we see our icon, remember that we as a church are centered on the complete works of Jesus Christ. When we get together to to have a social interaction or fellowship, when we get together to do a mission, when we get together on a Sunday, when we're drinking coffee, when we're having a laugh, when we're supporting one another, it's because of what Jesus did that unifies us. 
we can be different ages and stages in life. We can have different passions outside of the church. We can have so many different personalities and belief and even political opinions. But we are centered around Jesus Christ. It is the thing that unifies us. So every time we come together, first, it's because of Jesus. And then we get to enjoy each other's company. And then we have fellowship. And then we engage in the mission that God has called us to engage in. But first comes the unity that is found in Christ. Our icon also represents an empty tomb. Now, I want to say by no means does this mean that it takes the cross out of the church. The cross is pivotal in everything that we do. Every Sunday, we come around the table and and remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. The cross is, if you've ever listened to us or ever been a part of us, you know that it's all about the cross. But where the cross is salvation, that's not the end of the story because there's more to the story after Jesus died. He rose again. And we serve a risen Savior. Jesus is the life, not the death. And because of that, we want the completed works of Jesus Christ, which is found in the hope that is found in the resurrection. And so we too have a reminder, not only of the the body that is broken around the table, but also the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is who we are. Why is it important that we have a reminder every time we come? The icon also means other things. But why is it so important to have an icon that represents our church that reminds us of communion and reminds us that Jesus has risen from the dead? Well, the disciples also forgot. And we forget, don't we? Let's go back to Acts chapter 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke of the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom of God. Christ crucified and risen from the dead, the completed works. I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. The kingdom of God. If you want the kingdom of God, you've got to go through Jesus. Kingdom of God. And then three verses later, they gathered around him and asked, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus, I'm sure he's just sitting there going, oh, come on. I don't know if he was like that, but I would have been. For 40 days, he's been teaching them. And then they straight away, what about the kingdom of something else? It's like, oh, you're still missing the point. It seems Jesus was more gracious than I would have been. We read in verse 4, On one occasion he was eating with them, and he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. We're going to take a little sidestep for a moment which paints a picture of what is about to happen. You see, now they're told to wait. And sometimes, if you're like me, I'm not very good at waiting. Sometimes a bit impatient. I like things done now, but sometimes it takes a while to get others on board. Sometimes life happens. Sometimes there's COVID. And you just need to wait. I love the disciples' default. We're going to talk about this in a moment. Their default is prayer. But what God is preparing them for is is another 
another underlying theme that's going to help us through the book of Acts. And so if we just take a little bit of a fast forward in Acts to Acts chapter 7 verse 55 where we see Stephen is addressing the crowd. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What is, what is it about the right hand of God that we see take place in Scripture? We see the disciples say, Jesus, can I be at your right hand? We see in the Old Testament the, the idea of the right hand of God. Well, the right hand, for, for example, in Genesis chapter 48, we see Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head. And the idea of this right hand is that, that in this scenario, in Genesis, it is a blessing. We see that Israel, so Isaac, is offering a blessing to his son. And so the right hand offers blessing. We see throughout the Old Testament that there is an anointing. They would touch the earlobe at times and put stuff on the earlobe. And it was like this, this anointing that would take place, of way of, a way of saying, you are set apart. You are chosen. You are special. You are protected. We read in Exodus chapter 15, verse 6, your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. And so we also see that the right hand is to do with strength. And so when we, we look at the Old Testament, we see the right hand is the hand of blessing. We see the right hand is the hand of choosing, of anointing, of strength. In effect, the right hand is the outpouring of God's actions on earth. The, the expression that we would use today is your right-hand man, or if you want to get politically correct, your right-hand person, but the, the old saying is right-hand man. And the idea is that you have somebody, your, your offsider, your right-hand person, who is doing things for you in a way that actually furthers whatever you're doing. If it's an organization, your right-hand man furthers that organization. If, if you're in a church, yeah, your right-hand people, your right-hand team are the ones that, that fulfill the vision of that ministry area or of the church. They're the action. Now, in a, in a royal setting, your king is the one that, that has the, the ultimate say, but your right-hand person sits in a place of incredible authority that is the action of the king. And so we see Jesus living the actions out the right hand of God in action on earth. Now, I'm not saying that the early church was the right hand of God. I'm not saying that, that we are elevated to that level. However, there is an action that God is going to request of us that we're not quite ready for at the end of chapter 1. Where do we end at? Well, Acts chapter 1, we see that the disciples are in Jerusalem. They have an education, so the disciples have actually had everything. They've sat under Jesus' teaching for three years. They have watched his life, his death, his resurrection. They've sat with his teaching for 40 days on the kingdom of God. They have watched his ascension to heaven. They are now awaiting the Holy Spirit. And we see that Matthias has joined the twelve. And now they are waiting, waiting, waiting. And that's the end of Acts chapter 1. What can we learn from Acts chapter 1 with what we've covered today? 
Firstly, Jesus has redeemed you. Jesus has saved you. Jesus has restored you in your relationship with God. If you choose to be friends of Jesus, to invite Jesus into your heart, then you have access to the kingdom of God. But it's only through Jesus. Not always lead to heaven. Only one way leads to heaven. And that's because Jesus made the way. He was the only one that lived the perfect life. He was the only one that never messed up his relationship with God. And because of that, he was the only one that deserved to, be to go to heaven, but instead died in your place. And in doing so, died once and for all. The act is done. All you need to do is accept that. I want to encourage you this morning that if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to pray a simple prayer. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross. I ask you into my heart. From this day forwards, I want to be your friend. Fill me with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, could I ask that you get in contact with us? You can do that via the web page uh, or on social media. We would love to be in contact with you and love to give you a Bible and love to journey with you as you start this incredible journey of understanding more and more how much Jesus loves you, how much God wants to have a relationship with you through Christ. But for some of us, we've been a Christian for a while, but we've started to try to do things by ourselves. Maybe we're a bit impatient. And I'm both inspired and challenged by what the disciples are doing. We're about to hear next week that there's about 120 disciples sitting together because they have been told to wait. As I said before, I'm not patient. I believe in the church. Everything I want to do, we're about six months behind. It's an incredible lesson on patience for me. But I love it. It happens. It just takes a lot longer than what I would love to see it take place. And it's an incredible reminder to continue to, to pray about it and seek God's heart about it before things come through to fruition. But what I love about the book of Acts is we see that the disciples have everything that you could humanly have. They have seen Jesus in action. They have witnessed his death and resurrection. They have sat at his feet Everything that you could possibly have as a human being about being equipped and trained has been done, but they are lacking something. They cannot go and head out on their own power. And so sometimes we try that. We go out on our own power. We try and do things ourselves. But in Acts, we see that they are told to wait for the gift that the Father gives them. A gift. Not something they deserve, but a gift. And it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so what do they do while they wait? We read in verse 14. We read this. They all join together consistently in prayer. We see that their response to patience is prayer. Two weeks ago, we saw Pete run 200 kilometers, an incredible feat, an incredible task, an insane kind of weird thing to do that will never, 
ever be repeated ever on the face of the earth. It is done. It is finished. Yet on Wednesday, he's still talking about it. He's taking the message of what he did and sharing it with others to raise awareness for an incredible cause. Just over 2,000 years ago, Jesus did an incredible feat, an incredible act of kindness. And while he didn't have to, he chose to when he died on the cross for you and for me to take all of the consequences of our actions, all of the things that we've done wrong upon himself in our place. And he died, but he also rose again. And in doing that, the completed works of Jesus Christ, God's redemptive plan, his restoration act was finished once and for all. However, God's strategy was that while the act is finished, people do not know about it. And so we are to bear witness, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, of what God has done through his Son and bear witness to the ends of the earth. But we cannot do it alone. We need to do it with the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to hear about next Sunday. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that the completed works of Jesus Christ means that we have access to the kingdom of God because of that incredible act of love that you would send your son to earth to show us how to live, to show us how to love. And in doing so, he would take our consequences upon himself. And as he does that, he would restore us in relationship through him back to you. But Lord, not only did he die, but he rose again. And we don't worship a dead God. We worship the risen, living God. Lord, and in that, we know that we can have a relationship with a God that is not dead, that is alive. God, we thank you for the incredible plan, for the incredible act, incredible life that is found in Christ. Lord, may we be challenged as we open up your word to be your church the way that you designed it to be. But Lord, may we never do anything without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so Lord, in anticipation, we look forward to what Scripture will reveal to us next week. But this week, may we know that we are saved and may we go to you in times of patience and in times when we need to wait. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.